Well, good morning, church. As I said before, my name is Marty, and this is great uh, to be with you here uh, to preach God's word from this very short verse. I want you to imagine that you're having a nice holiday in Indonesia. You're on the island of Sumatra, and you're snorkeling in the Strait of Malacca, in an off-the-beaten-path location, and suddenly you spot in the water the murky shape of a shipwreck. Now, I want you to picture yourself swimming down to the shipwreck and easily spottable amidst all of the waterlogged ship's timbers and these passing fish is the shine of gold coins. Easily spottable is the gems gently reflecting the sunlight. And on the side of the wreck are the words in beautiful calligraphy, Flor de la Mar. Excitedly, you resurface. You head back to your hotel, you do a little bit of Googling, and the realisation of your situation hits you. You have found the missing Portuguese treasure ship, Flor de la Mar, which was full to the brim of gold and silver and precious gems, all looted from the Sultan of Malacca that had sunk in 1511 off the coast of Sumatra. And here is the kicker. This treasure is worth an estimated $2.6 billion. You've done it. You found this treasure and you weren't even looking for it. But wait, wait a second. How are you going to salvage this treasure? You don't own a submarine, you don't own any dredging equipment. So you're going to have to empty your bank account. You're going to have to remortgage your house, you're going to have to sell your car and plenty other of possessions that you dearly treasure. Your friends and your family, they may not believe you. They may even think that you've gone crazy. But all of this is to get this treasure out of the shipwreck. But the payday from your discovery is easily worth the price, right? Now, you may have already guessed, but the floor de la Mar has not been found. Not a single trace of the treasure hall has been found or even claimed to have been located. Many, 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 many expeditions have been employed and dispatched to find the Sultan of Malacca's treasure, and so far, no one has managed to turn up anything. It is still waiting for someone to stumble upon to stumble upon it and prosper from its riches. Now, I tell this story and I get you to come along on an imagination journey with me because this is kind of what we're dealing with from our passage in the Bible today. Now, let me read again our passage so that we can get our heads into what Jesus is saying and get our heads away from potentially finding the floor de la mar. So, Matthew 13, verse 44. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Before we get into our story, I very briefly want to pull apart that phrase that Jesus uses, the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is talking about salvation. He's talking about us as, as humanity being redeemed and being rejoined into a relationship with God and, and living under his rule and in his kingdom. That's what he means by the kingdom of heaven. 
And we are right in the middle of a section of teaching where Jesus repeatedly describes what this kingdom of heaven is like. And today, we're going to answer this question to get to the heart of our passage. How valuable is the kingdom of heaven? And let me say it another way. What price is the kingdom of heaven worth to you? But firstly, I want to say that the point of this parable is not that the kingdom can be bought. The point of this parable is not the dollar value of the kingdom of heaven, but that it is valuable. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. And the point also isn't figuring out what our field is. Or what does Jesus mean when he says that the man sold everything? Does that mean that the man sold the clothes that he wore? That's not the point. The point is that the kingdom of heaven will cost you everything, and that is a good deal. So the first thing that we're going to look at today is our main character. He's called the man. Now you can see our main character into our parable in the second sentence of our verse. But I'm going to read the whole verse again because it's not very long and context is always a good thing. So Matthew 13:44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. You may find the idea of buried treasure to be a bit of a fanciful tale. But you have to remember that there weren't really any banks back in Jesus' time. You couldn't just nick down to your local bank and deposit your fortnightly pay. No, what you did was, in those days, you hid it. You hid it somewhere in your house. Or if you were wealthy, you commonly would hide it in your land. Now, back in those days, the laws of the rabbis did have a clause for someone that found treasure in a field. It stated that if a workman came across uh, a treasure in a field and if he lifted it out, that treasure would belong to the master, to the field's owner. But notice here that our man is careful not to lift the treasure out until he has bought the field. The Greek for lift and the Greek for find are different words. So we're not talking about the legality or the morality of finding this treasure and buying the field. We are talking about the price. We're talking about the value of this treasure. Now, can you imagine being this man's neighbour? Can you imagine uh, what this man's family may have thought? I reckon you would have been stunned as you watched him sell off his possessions. You might have questioned him, is this really a wise decision? You might have warned him of the dangers of risking his family and their welfare. And you might have talked to other neighbours, wondering if this man was going crazy. Hey, Mishael, check out Jephthah. He's selling that really comfy couch of his. I'm going to offer him half a denarii and see if he'll take it. Honey, we can't sell our beds. What are we going to sleep on? But check it out. This man wasn't looking for the treasure. He stumbled upon it. You know, this story is actually contrasted with the following verses, where the merchant is looking for a pearl of great value. Now, this story, in our parable, this man isn't looking for the kingdom of heaven. 
but he stumbles upon it and he sells everything. The merchant, in the following verses, he is searching for the kingdom of heaven. And when he finally finds it, he does the same thing. He sells everything that he has to possess it. And you know, some people are not particularly keen to find Jesus. In fact, many people today aren't even interested in religion. And yet, and yet, many people are going their own way when something unexpected confronts them. The gospel. They'd never really heard it before. And they certainly weren't seeking it. But there it was. The gospel. You see, one of the things that this man in this parable teaches us is that the power of the gospel wins over not just those seeking meaning in life, not just that. The power of the gospel wins over people that aren't even looking for it. And then the gospel becomes so precious to them that they joyfully leave everything of their old life behind. Isn't that incredible? See, God can make random people who aren't even searching for him to stumble over him, to stumble over his immense value and be compelled to change their lives for him. If you've been praying for someone that seems entirely disinterested in God, then this parable is saying... Be encouraged. Be encouraged because the kingdom of heaven is like a valuable treasure that people aren't looking for. And God can and God does grab people. And God does work in the lives of those people to bring them back to himself. This is what the prophet Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 65 verse 1. It should be up on the screen there. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. And so keep praying. Be encouraged and keep praying and pray that God would reveal himself to your friends that aren't seeking him. Be encouraged. Keep praying. Let's jump into our second thing to see for today. Second thing to see for today, the value of the kingdom of heaven. Let's read our verse again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now notice that it's, it's not sold everything he had, bought the field, and then got joy. No, it's in his joy he sold everything he had to buy the field to obtain the treasure. You see, this man, he... He sees, he knows the value, the undeniable worth of this treasure. And not even for a second did he have second thoughts about giving up everything to have it. But again, I want to make it crystal clear. There is nothing in this story that, that should be thought of as teaching that salvation, that's the kingdom of heaven, can be bought. Have a look at Isaiah 55 verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without cost. 
without money and without cost. So again, what is the point of the man selling everything if it's not about buying the kingdom? This is a picture of renouncing. This is a picture of of giving up everything that might be a hindrance to attaining the prize. This is a picture of the immense and incalculable value of the kingdom of heaven. And it asks us, have I seen the value of the kingdom? Now, I want us to imagine the opposite of this story for a second. Imagine that this man who sees the value of his discovery, he finds this this treasure buried in a field, but he decides that it will be too much trouble to acquire the field and the treasure for himself. He thinks to himself, I'd have to adjust my priorities. I'd have to sell all my things. I'd have to change my lifestyle. I'd have to stop going to restaurants. I'd have to stop getting takeaway coffee. He thinks, at at best, I might be misunderstood by my family and friends, but at worst, they might think I'm crazy. They might lock me up. And yes, this, this treasure would make me a very rich man, but the changes I have to make now would be too difficult. It's too scary. There's too much risk. I'm out. Now, you might think of the opposite story as the crazy one, because we see... And we know the value of the kingdom of heaven by what this man does in our verse to sell everything. You know, sometimes I think that we feel we have a bad deal when we signed up to follow Jesus. Sometimes I think that we feel buyer's remorse because our friends seem to be living much happier lives. We've got a boat They've got the freedom to go away every weekend. They've got all this extra spending money because they don't give to the work of the gospel. This can be what we feel when we've lost sight of the value of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus somewhat helpfully addresses this later in Matthew. He says in chapter 16, verse 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Now, I want you to hang on to this thought. I want you to put a pin in this thought because, well, I do want to talk about what to do when we've lost sight of the value of the kingdom of heaven. There is one more thing we need to see from our parable. So, third and final thing to see today. Joyfully giving up everything for the kingdom of heaven. Let's have a look at our verse again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. It's a little word that's really easy to miss in this parable. Joy. In his joy, he sells everything he has because he recognizes the value of this treasure. You know, 15 minutes before this man discovered the treasure in the field, the thought of selling all that he had to buy this field probably wouldn't have crossed his mind. And if the thought had crossed his mind that he would find treasure, I reckon he would have laughed at such a strange thought and he would have continued on his way. But 
15 minutes afterwards, he was off to do it and to do it with joy. What made the difference? He knows the value of the kingdom of heaven and that nothing compares to it. You know, the Apostle Paul, he parallels this passage quite helpfully for us in Philippians 3, 7 and 9. The Apostle Paul says, But whatever, ga- whatever were gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, that's the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, that's, that's his past achievements, his past gains, he considers them garbage, that he may gain Christ and be found in him. See, Paul joyfully suffers the loss of everything, that he may gain Christ. Do you see that? Do you see that he considers everything that he's already done garbage? He considers everything that he's already done literal trash to go in the bin. That he may be found in Christ, which is just another way of saying in the kingdom of heaven. See, this is our parable in action in the life of the Apostle Paul. He's given us his translation And he showed us how it works in his life. Let's jump back to the man. Let's think about what he joyfully sold. He joyfully gave up his home. He joyfully gave up his furniture. He joyfully gave up his livestock. He sacrificed things that he had made. He sacrificed things that had been given to him. He sacrificed his possessions that he'd had for years and years. And he said goodbye to it all in an instant and with joy. And he did so because he could see that what he would gain would far surpass everything he ever owned up until that point. Would you sell? Would you sell everything you have? to own Jesus, to have Jesus? Would you sell? Would you you give away? Would you abandon everything you own to have Jesus? The other way to think about that is this. Does repentance, does, does turning back to Jesus, does placing him as number one priority, does that look like just giving up stuff? What does it look like returning to Jesus as most valuable? If you imagine it as a point on a compass, the north point of our compass is naturally towards our stuff, our achievements, our gains, whatever that might be. No matter how hard we grit our teeth and try and pull to redirect our attention elsewhere, even if it's to Jesus, to a good thing, it will keep snapping back to north, if that's what we place as number one priority. But if repentance looks like replacing north with something far more beautiful, with something far more valuable, with something far more desirable, then everything changes. We're no longer trying to pull ourselves away from our stuff and head to Jesus. Now our attention 
our focus and our drive gets naturally snapped back to him if we put him as number one. If you don't love and if you don't treasure Jesus like this, if you aren't ready and willing to joyfully give up anything for him and to put him as north, then you don't truly know him. If there's something in your life that you aren't willing to give away, to live with Jesus as your north point, then you don't know him. If you say, I'm willing to live with Jesus as my Lord, but he can't have my money. I'm willing to live with Jesus as my Lord, but he can't have my sexuality. I'm willing to live with Jesus as my Lord, but he can't have my comfort. Then you have missed the value of the kingdom. And I'm not just talking about people that haven't committed to Jesus as Lord. I'm talking to you, Christian. I'm talking to you. If you say that you follow Jesus, but you're holding back an every weekend away lifestyle. If you say you're following Jesus, but you hold back how you think about your money. If you say you follow Jesus, but you're holding back your comfort, your safe zone, and you think that standing up for Jesus is too hard. If you say you follow Jesus, but you're holding back your sexuality, and that you think that your porn addiction will just go away and it'll be fine, then you have lost sight of the value of the kingdom of God. You see, this short story makes it super clear that everlasting life in and with Jesus is simply and undeniably worth more than anything we can buy, build, or obtain. You might be asking at this point, what makes the kingdom of heaven so valuable? Why is it worth selling everything we have to obtain it? This is where we're picking up the thought from earlier. What to do when we've lost sight of the value of the kingdom of heaven? Firstly, the kingdom of heaven is valuable because it is a place of eternal life and eternal joy. Matthew 25, 34, Jesus tells us that when we enter the kingdom of heaven, we will be with him and we will inherit eternal life. This means that we will no longer be subject to death and decay. We will live forever in the presence and in the glory of our Lord. Secondly, the kingdom of heaven is a place of unending joy and delight. Matthew 25, 21, Jesus says that when we enter the kingdom of heaven, our Lord will say to us, come and share in your master's happiness. Imagine, imagine participating and sharing in the happiness of God. 
This happiness is not like the fleeting happiness that we experience in this world. And this is a deep, a deep and abiding joy that will never fade. Thirdly, the kingdom of heaven is a place of peace and rest. Matthew 11:28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When we enter the kingdom of heaven, we will no longer have to carry the weight of our sins and the troubles of this world, but we will find rest and peace in the presence of our Lord. Fourthly, the kingdom of heaven is a place of abundance and prosperity. Matthew 6:33, Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom, to seek first his righteousness, and all these things, meaning all the things that we need in this life, will be given to you as well. In the kingdom of heaven, we lack nothing because we have everything we need and more. And finally, the kingdom of heaven is a place of unity and fellowship. John 17, 21, Jesus prays that all of them, that's the Christians, may be one as he addresses his Father, just as, just as you are in me and I am in you. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, we will be united with our Lord and with one another, and we will experience the fullness of fellowship with our God and with each other. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. So focus on the kingdom of heaven. Focus and see what Jesus was willing to do to bring you into his kingdom. Look at these things. Focus. Stare. Look and see at what Jesus did on that cross so that you could be admitted to the kingdom of heaven. And focus. Look, see, stare at the glorious riches of being part of his kingdom now is. Let me finish with an illustration from Tim, Tim Keller, which I've contextualized slightly. He says, let me ask you a question. Is something expensive or not? Is $500 a lot of money to spend on something? You'd probably say, I don't know. What is the something? And if I tell you that it's a pen, then you will probably say, yes. Too much money, $500 for a pen, are you crazy? But if I say that it's a perfectly good house in Kingston, built last year, you would say no, right? $500 for a new house, central Kingston, not a lot of money to spend on something. Get this. If I said that I will sell you a house, central Kingston, 500 bucks, no strings attached, perfectly, perfectly good house, nothing wrong with it, and your bank account was empty, you had zero money to your name, I reckon you would still be back within the hour with $500, right? 
That's what you do. You would sell everything you had. You would beg and you would borrow and hopefully not steal. But you would raise that $500 because that is not a lot of money for a house. So again, is something expensive or is it not? Of course, it depends on what it is. $2,000, is that expensive? $5,000, is that expensive? Depends on what it is. The kingdom of heaven and all the riches of knowing Christ as Lord, following in his footsteps, will cost you everything you have. Is it expensive? Not at all. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we're sorry for when we think that our things are more important than your kingdom. We ask for your forgiveness. Help us to replace our desires for your desires, to see your kingdom built. And help us to rightly see our stuff and our achievements on this world as fleeting and to focus instead on seeing the glory of your kingdom, its eternal life, its eternal joy, its eternal unity, and all of those things. Father, we pray for our friends and our family that aren't seeking you, and we pray that somehow, some way, you would use us, and you would use your gospel to reach out to them, that they would stumble upon it and know its unending value and they would sacrifice everything for it. And Father, help us to be inspired by that, and help us to do the same. We pray these things in your name. Amen.